The Boise Bubble Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios. Speak and be heard. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, So we had a a message from Darren from Volkswagen uh, Boise, and he's actually asked uh, Mark to um, read from a script about Apple CarPlay so that there was no confusion about what that offered. Is that is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it'd be okay if I did some voices? Some voices to to describe like the Apple CarPlay. Some character voices. Uh, uh sure, sure. Go okay. For it. All right. So this is um, um, Michael Kane. Okay. Doing Apple CarPlay. Apple CarPlay bring everything you love about your iPhone right to your dash with an interface tailored specifically to our drivers. Apple CarPlay, the safest and safest. All right, that was great. Um, <clears throat> there, I think there's some more. Did you want to keep reading? Yeah. Um, uh, Liam Neeson? Simply plug in your compatible iPhone into the USB data port. And watch the apps appear on your dash. That was probably the best Liam Neeson impression that's that's ever been done. That was really good. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, Was that it or was there more? Oh, no, there's so much more. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, you can stream from all the top music streaming services and access your favorite tunes, podcasts, and playlists right on the touchscreen. It's never been easier to jam out in your VW. Go ahead. Ask Siri to play your favorite song. Your VW now comes with your personal DJ. <laughs> great. That was great. This is why I was really a successful actor because I'm tell. so good at impressions. Yeah, you're really good at impressions. I'm, I'm, wow. Like you probably couldn't even tell that that wasn't Christopher Walken. If I was closing my eyes, I would have thought we were on like SNL, like right then, like right there, like well done. Nice. Yeah, I really got me in the mood to drive a Volkswagen. They're fun. I have a Crossport. Cool. Let's not talk about that right now. All right. Thanks so much for joining. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things Treasure Valley. We're your hosts, Shane and Natalie Plummer. Welcome back to the conversation. All right. All right, everyone. Welcome back. We're so excited today. We're going to be talking with Don Day. He is the founder of Boise Dev, which is... Well, actually, why don't you explain a little bit? I, I bet you could do a better job than I would. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we're a, a local news site that's uh, really focused on development, business, growth, and kind of the civic heart of the Treasure Valley. And uh, we started five years ago and called it Voicey Dev. And now it's a lot more than Voicey and a lot more than Dev. 
That's mm. true. I mean, I go to you guys a lot. If I need to know what's in the know, what's happening, you're the first place. And I can't really imagine not having you guys available. What? How did this come to, ba- come to be? You know, honestly, it started much like with what you've done on social media. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked at Channel 7 for uh, 17 years. And in 2010, which is a lifetime ago now, <laughs> yeah. I transitioned out of the newsroom and became the digital sales manager. And um was trying to find leads for our client or for our, our sellers. And I would look through permit filings and just see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would tweet some of those and use the hashtag Boise dev. And those were popular and um, it really took off and worked. And people seemed to just like that and like to know when the Jacksons was going to get a remodel and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I had a good friend of mine who was like, the only thing I go on Twitter for is your Boise dev tweets. And it's really hard to find them. And so we started a, a very small email newsletter um, and then in 2016, I, I left Channel 7 after all that time and decided it was time to try something else and um, start a digital marketing firm. And it takes a little while to grow any new business, as, as I think a lot of folks know this um, or listening to this know. And uh, that was the 2016 election year. And I was spending a lot of time at home on the couch stressing about uh, elections and mm-hmm. that wasn't healthy. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to take these tweets and build a little website and this will be a nice hobby on the side. Fast forward a little bit, I did a, um, a year-long fellowship at Stanford where I was able to work on kind of the model and the business. Came back to Boise in 2018 and really fun, launched it formally at that point. Um, just myself for several years, but then in the last year we've added uh, four reporters and keep growing as the need for this kind of information has really increased. So I'm kind of curious. So I gave you 11 years in like 60 seconds. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> that. That is condensed. Yeah, right. I'm kind of curious how you self-identify. Are you... Do you see yourself as more of a journalist, more of an entrepreneur? How do you see yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think that's complicated. Um, certainly journalism is my background, um, but I'm a business owner too. And so it, it's a little bit of both. Um, but we're really on the journalism um, at Boise Dev and really trying to focus on those things and, you know, take an approach that really is old school. And that's kind of just being fact forward and keeping opinions out of it and just trying to give people information so that they can make good decisions. And sometimes that's big things. Maybe we're talking about homelessness and we're talking about the housing crisis. And sometimes it's small. I ran a story today on, on what's, what's going on with the construction at the Boise target, right? Mm -hmm. A really small little thing, but people are curious and want to know. So we really try and follow the audience, follow what they want to know instead of me being like, hi, I'm the journalist and I will tell you what's important. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an interesting uh, dynamic because you know, you you want to you want to keep it um, unbiased, but you also want uh, it to not just be so dry as you're just um, you're just shot, just kind of delivering the news. And that's what I've enjoyed is it's actually entertaining, but I don't feel like you're really trying to sway me, and that's really difficult to do. I think in today's climate, yeah. I'm always looking for a news outlet where I really feel like I'm getting an unbiased um, delivery of news, and that is it's just not. It's not really a reality anymore. You know, and I think this area politically is so interesting and, mm-hmm. and complicated and, and um, it, politics, are, it's, it's a tough time right now. Mm-hmm. And we don't overtly cover politics, right? Like we aren't, we aren't a, a daily statehouse news service, for, inter- in, for example. But um, politics intersects a lot of things, especially when you're talking about development and growth. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it all the more important for us to really try and stay in this lane of giving people facts and letting them make those decisions, whether they are conservative or progressive or 
middle of the road, whatever they may be, it's really important that they have good information so that they can form those opinions. So I'm curious how successful you see yourself because uh, just like Natalie had said, the climate is, I just feel like people are looking for reasons to plant a flag on one side of a line or another, but it seems like development might be kind of this common ground that we can all get behind, but you paint a picture of a very fine line that you have to walk to avoid some of these pitfalls. How successful do you think that you are? You know, as far as success, I'll let other people define that, but you know, I I would say that development isn't really common ground. It's, you know, I, I used to think that people were very like, gee, I'm just really excited to see new things in town. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a story a few years ago um, that we broke about a proposed CVS um, at like 17th and State Street. And I wrote it up. I was like, here's what they plan. Here's the drugstore that they plan to put in the North End. And um, it took off in ways that I didn't expect. Um, residents in the area were very upset because it was going to replace some affordable housing. Um, and that project was never built. And it was really the first time that I saw the community rise up and say, this is not something we, we want to see. And then elected leaders go, okay, yeah, you know what? There's some issues here that we need to, to work through. Um, and that was in 2017. Now it's pretty common for a development. You know, I had somebody tell me on Monday, a source tell me for a story uh, we don't expect this to be controversial. And I just said, I'm not going to quote you in the story <laughs> saying that because I don't think you can predict that anymore. Uh-huh. That must, was that the first time that you saw such like a tangible impact on a story that shelved a project? I don't know if the, if the story shelved the project. Um, I think that the reaction is what, what did that. Um, but it was the first time that I got an indication that people were engaged in a different way. Um, than they might have been before, whereas that might have just kind of sailed sailed on by. Um, people want to know what's happening so that they can can make that. So mm-hmm. I don't think it was a story that did it, but people taking action maybe based upon the story definitely played a role. Well, if people don't find about uh, find out about development from you, I, I think where are they finding it? Uh, for example, yesterday I was driving down Linder in Meridian, and I saw one of those signs that said public hearing for Meridian. So I mm-hmm. usually will notice that, go home, type it up, and find out what that thing is. Sure. The the amount of people who actually do that. It's I, like you and me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so Most I look to that. see, I'm like, okay, so they want to do a new development. Well, it happens to be that the dev- the housing development that they're doing are ones that people are probably going to have a lot of issues with. And I just kept thinking, what is the better way to get this information out there? And is that something that the city or the developers even want? Because if you're not seeing that sign, going home, going to that meeting, the engagement doesn't happen. And and that's a problem for me, I guess, as, as somebody who does want to take some ownership of my community. I want to be involved in those things, but I if I don't find it out from you, often I'm not finding it out at all. Yeah, and I mean, I think you ask if people want the public to know, and, and I try not to be cynical, but... Um, you know, when a new project is announced, they have to notify people within a 300 or 500 foot radius, which is not very far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 500 feet isn't the, even the length of a football field. Those things are public. They have to put up a sign and, and uh, Meridian, to its credit, actually has pretty good signage standards. So the signs are pretty large. Mm-hmm. Boise's gotten some pressure and has made theirs a little larger. 
Um, but still often you see an 11 by 17 piece of paper on a little stick yeah. for a, a, a property. And, you know, like I'm pretty tuned into that. My poor wife, when we're driving around town, and I see one. It's like, I got to stop. I got to pull over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or, hey, can you take a picture out that so mm-hmm. I can go like out the window so I can look at it later. Um, but that people don't do that. They don't even notice people. No. It's just, it just blurs on by, especially a white piece of paper. They're mm-hmm. not going to see it. You know, Boise Dev's built a business on that and, mm-hmm. and trying to pay attention to permit filings and, and those types of things. We actually just hired a reporter for Meridian because there's such a need there. Mm-hmm. We've long been really on the ball in, in Boise, um, but there's so much happening in Meridian that we're trying to really redouble our efforts there so that we can help people understand. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of circled around your question, which was, do they want that information out? I don't know, but it's the law and it, it's public record. And so we try and give that a, a wider audience. I remember uh, on the corner of our subdivision, they were getting ready to build apartments. And this had to be five years ago, if not, maybe a little more. The dates become hazy at some right. point. Just everything goes up so, so quickly. But the public hearing came and I swung by one evening just to kind of see well, what was going on. I had no idea I was going into a freaking crowd of pitchforks and torches and uh, crazy stuff was happening. These people were loaded for bear and these poor, these poor people that were trying to show these storyboards of the project. And this, this is what the apartments are going to look like. And this is our price range. And we just love to answer any kind of questions about the logistics of construction. People had printed a fake flyer that this was going to be affordable housing. And uh, just this little, this one sheeter was filled of filled with falsehoods just to rile people up against this development and it was the first time that I realized that people, they have these opinions in their mind that they need to get out. Like they are really focused on some of these things. Some people, the majority of us, I feel like we're just going so fast. I don't have time to pull over on the side of the road and look at that thing. Cause I'm thinking about piano practice and soccer games and then my job and all these other things. I am looking for an easy way to get easy access to news. Yeah. And I think that for the most part, the elected officials, um, and then the volunteers uh, who are on some of these commissions really try and make decisions that are based on the law and the facts. That doesn't mean that the testimony is going to do the same, mm-hmm. um, especially in an era where a lot of these have actually opened up to Zoom, which has widened participation, which is, I think is a good thing. But like an example that, that you name, I, you know, I, I don't know the specifics of it, but just because somebody puts together a false flyer and tries to rile people up doesn't mean that that's going to at the end of the day have an impact mm-hmm. because um, I think that the elected officials really try and make decisions based on, on what's true and what's the law to their credit. Right. So circling back to Boise Dev for a lot of people, we've got tons of people that are new, that are new to the area kind of explain the lay of the land of the news outlets and where Boise Dev fits in. What is your niche and how do you differentiate yourself from the other options? And actually before, and as you're doing that, um, you made a huge announcement yesterday about a new offering that you're making, which I think really ties into that. And honestly, for me, I was so excited because you are actually answering a very specific need that I have about the uh, a void that I have in accessibility for local news. So as you're answering that, can you talk a little bit about Idaho First as well? Yeah, so I can I can answer that in a nice linear fashion. Um, there are 13 local news outlets here serving Boise, Ada County, Boise Meridian. Um and then there's more if you start to count some of the, you know, the CUNA Melba News or the Emmett Messenger Index or the, the smaller papers um, around the area. And what's interesting is Boise Dev is the only locally owned commercial news outlet in town. Wow. And I think that that's what really 
differentiates us from a higher level. I mean, there's lots of little tactical things, but at the highest level, Boise Dev is it as far as local news that's owned here. Now, I should say there's a couple of nonprofit um, news outlets. Uh, Idaho Education News is locally owned, and then Boise State Public Radio, also a nonprofit, is owned by the university. So, but so connect the dots for us. Why does that matter? Yeah, so I will. And so owned? what what that means is I make the decisions. I live in this community. I decide the approach. Mm-hmm. If you're watching a corporate media, or I shouldn't just say watching, watching, reading, listening to a corporate media outlet, they're making editorially editorial decisions locally, meaning what stories, but their overall corporate philosophy, their approach, maybe they have a paywall, maybe they write headlines in a clickbait style. That's not common from somebody that lives here. That's somebody that's coming from an executive that lives in DC or in California or somewhere else. And it's not that, you know, out of town things are bad. You know, I like McDonald's like everybody else. Right. And McDonald's and Boise and McDonald's and Rome, Italy are the same, Mm -hmm. but I think there's something to be said for that real focus on local. And so we are attuned to what's happening here. Boise Dev does not have a paywall. Um, we provide our members with stories in advance. So we do have a membership program. Mm-hmm. But it's my belief that the community needs access to good quality information. I read something recently that said, um, you have to pay for the truth, but the lies are free. <laughs> Love that. And I, I thought about that, and it's like, gosh, you know, all a lot of a lot of news outlets are behind a pay, hard paywall, but the crap, the, the untrue stuff, the the agendas, that's not behind. You're not paying for that, mm-hmm. um, and so it puts people who either are unwilling or unable to pay for news at a disadvantage. So we tried. This is really what I spent my time at Stanford trying to figure out. It's like, how do I build a business model that allows us to not have these paywalls that everybody thinks are important? So. As we've grown and as our mission has grown and as we've gone from one person to five, um, we've continued to look to see where there are gaps in the information economy here. And one of those gaps is how are people finding out information in the morning? One of the things that the pandemic did that's really interesting is it changed the time that people are getting up. They're not getting up as early. And so they're less likely to be watching uh, television news. You know, I worked at a TV station for a long time and morning news is really important. And you're certainly not not likely to be getting a printed newspaper anymore. Now, that's not to say, I'm sure you'll have listeners who go, I watch so-and-so morning show or I still read the Idaho Press. There are certainly people, but the bell curve shows that that's just not what's happening anymore. So what's happening? What's the first thing you do in the morning? What's first thing most people do? My my phone. Yeah. I pick it up. They roll over and they grab their phone because they want to see maybe what time it is. Like, that's what I do. Like, my wife has alarms set. I'm like, which alarm is this? <laughs> um, but they swipe up or they unlock their phone and they go to their, probably their favorite social media app. Depending on your demographics, that's Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter. And you're being served a lot of things. You might get a great post from Hello Meridian in the morning, or you might see a Boise Dev post. But you're also probably going to then see, you know, somebody's dog picture or a picture of their kid. You're on Facebook, you're more likely to see things that are national in nature, maybe maybe in your political, particular political mm-hmm. bubble. And so you're not really getting a good view of what's happening in the community. So we've done some research on this. We asked 
people what they wanted. We tried to look at the landscape. Um, and starting next Tuesday, uh, May 4th, we're going to launch Idaho First by Boise Dev. This is going to be a morning email product that will come into your inbox and it will give you about a five or six minute read of the day. It'll be predicated largely on our original reporting. Most of the stories we do are what we call unique and unduplicated, meaning we're not generally just duplicating stuff that's out there in other places. We're trying to bring original stories. But it will also help you understand what's happening maybe more broadly. I heard uh, Gretchen Parsons, who used to work at Channel 7, uh, to do this. She was a weekend anchor over there, and um, she's going to kind of bring you a summary of what's happening. And we'll link out to other to other news outlets. So, you know, if, if Channel 2 has an interesting story, uh, maybe there's something trending on, on Hello Meridian that we'll link out to, mm-hmm. um, to really try and help people fully understand what's happening. Um, so it's really, it's a simple need. How do I find out what's happening in my community? I'm not being well served in the morning, and we're going to try and really um, bring people to that. And we're starting with a, a big, tens of thousands of people are already signed up for our email list, so we're going to start with a nice big yeah, you have a huge and, list. I yeah. mean, people have already depended so much on, so it's not like you're starting this from scratch. Yeah, right. And I think if we we're starting from scratch, I wouldn't do it, but it's nice. <laughs> We've been building this audience for this, what, what has been a twice a month product will mm-hmm. now transition to daily. I'm so, so excited myself. I yeah. mean, for somebody who really needs to stay up, it is so hard for me to get the, the local news. I don't think people know. I've had people tell me that, that they don't really look at the news at all. They figure if it's really important, I'll put it on my page. I'm like, you guys, that's not what I do. Right. And that, please don't rely on I me get for that, that. I get that too. Yeah. Like, well. <laughs> I'm like, um, sometimes I'm just talking about, you know, the local boutique. That's not the news that you need. Um, but I have to really sift to find it. And so as soon as you announced it, I was just so excited. And we did, re- we did this audience research. And so, you know, it's not going to be super crime focused or really even super mm-hmm. politically focused those things will be in there so if there's a story that's that's maybe crimey that's in it's my kind of that's lingo crimey <laughs> it's crime focused it might be in there or a political story but that's not going to be the the thrust of it it's really going to be more based on what you need to start your day and know about your community so i feel like i have to represent all the other tech um old souls out there that aren't quite as engaged in social media and some of these digital ways of distribution. Why an email? Because when I think of my email, and this is just me, but I know that I'm not that unique, so there must be at least a couple of of other people out there like me. My inbox, I hate going into my inbox. There's so much in there. Why did you choose that outlet as opposed to something else? Because it's the one place that we can cut through the noise. Um, I hear you. Uh, I know a lot of people's inboxes are like that probably not first thing in the morning. Um, this is working in a number of other markets. That's part of the calculation here. Mm-hmm. So we, we know that this can be a success. Um, doing it on social media, it doesn't work. We're going to be stuck with somebody else's algorithm. And I don't own the audience relationship. Um, you know, we have 5,000 Instagram followers, 6,000. Not a, not a huge number, but I don't own that. I don't own that relationship. I don't even know who the people are. With an email relationship from a business standpoint, I have some some degree of control. I know who the people are. I know when they're visiting our website. I know if they've upgraded to being a member. I can have a more personal relationship with them. I can address them by name. Um, what does that, that look like? I'm kind of curious what the nature of engagement is. Do you have people just sitting down at their computers and typing something to you and say, hey, Don, have you heard about this? Or when do you plan on yeah, talking we, about that? We get, yeah, so, so on the incoming side, I get... A lot of people who, um, my email address is omnipresent. It's at the bottom of every page on our site. It's don at boisedev.com. And um, 
that allows me to really try and listen to people. I find that, and I don't mean to, to, to disagree with you, but I find that people let themselves get overwhelmed by email. And it's a thing in our culture. Like, oh, I have 500 unread emails. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how many of those 500 are actually probably important? I'd say not very many. Um, and so, yeah, I, I get that too, and I try and manage through it. But if a reader sends me an email, I try and respond to them because customer service is really important. So that's a little bit of a, I think, a, a split on the on the original place we were, which is kind of the inbound side and sending people information in their inbox. Um we have a pretty good website. It's pretty well visited. People look at it quite a bit, but we think that that ability to send somebody a newsletter that's crafted to them will work really well. You've seen, you've probably heard about this nationally. There's the skim, which is very well known. It's a, that's a little bit more, um, I would say, uh, female demographic targeted, but um, similar idea on a Boise level, although it won't be quite that light. We'll really try and give you a little bit more meaty look at the news. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting something you said that I think, a lot of people might not understand if they don't work in social media. You mentioned the algorithm. Um, so I run social media management is my main job. And so I actually run 12 social media pages. And so because I have access to that, I've been running a several year experiment with the algorithm is I will engage based on the site on certain aspects. So I might go to a very conservative pages often I'll go to more progressive on some ways. I'll, and I sure. start to watch what I'm being fed. And what I find relatively terrifying in social media is that once you have an idea of what you believe, the algorithm will continue to feed you. And you are going to start seeing the same things over and over again, and you stop learning. Um, you're not seeing, if you think what you're seeing on your timeline is reality, you're, you're wrong. They are creating and curating something that you will continue to want to look at, which means that you are not getting new information. So when I hear people who say they get their information from social media, that is terrifying to me, especially with some of the things that we've happened with how, um, how difficult the pandemic has been, this different sides there, the issues that we address on, you know, we could talk about that forever. Um, they are very marginalizing in some cases. And that, that does disturb me on my level is that we are just not coming from an unbiased place. There is, there's not a place to easily find that information. And so that you're creating that outside of the algorithm, I think is really important. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a bubble, right? The name of this podcast, but that's sort of in a, I think, I guess a somewhat sort of flippant way, right? Mm -hmm. Well, social media really does create a a bubble and Mm -hmm. I don't know your guys' politics, um, but regardless of, of where it goes, people are just not being well served because they're kind of like, you know, maybe you're a Rachel Maddow fan or you're a Tucker Carlson fan, just to pick two examples. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing a lot of content that's from those types of things. You're probably not going to see a perspective that's over the divide, so to speak. And you're certainly not going to get that kind of fact-based approach. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately on a local level, it's, uh, I think, a lot easier to provide a non-divisive product Mm -hmm. um, than it would be to do to do nationally but we are really mission focused on facts and it's just amazing to me that this is a this is a thing these days but even some of the my peers locally run a lot of opinion pieces and even though their opinion and their editorial are are certainly separate I don't know that the audience understands that Mm -hmm. and so we don't every once in a while we'll run a contributed opinion we did one from uh, there was like 
14 business leaders last fall that, that wrote a letter to, to Governor Little. We ran that. And so sometimes we'll run a contributed opinion piece. Um, I've written a couple. It's been two years. Um, but even that, we're just really sparing with because it's, that's not what people want. That's just not what they're looking for. What's your criteria for what to write an opinion piece on? <laughs> well, so I've run really, so I've run two in the last couple of years. One um, was, and, and I tell people this without reservation, um, I have a bias towards openness in government. And um, we pay taxes. We are the people. Governments need to. Um, and so I got into a little bit of a row with Boise State University over open records on the Garth Brooks concert, of all things. Interesting. Um, and so I wrote an opinion piece about kind of the problems with that. This was, gosh, several years ago now. Um, and then the next one was, and you probably saw this story pretty widely in the media, but there was a former Boise State um, football player named Tyler Rasa. And he had posted on Twitter um, that somebody had put a card on his car because he had California plates that was like, we don't want you here. Go back to California. And um, look, I understand the feelings that people have, whether they've lived here for 5, 10, or 40 years. I understand that there's a lot of change right now. Um, but it really that really bothered me. And, and I think the line in the piece that sticks with me the most is, I grew up here, um, I don't remember being nasty to random other people as being an Idaho value. And so that really struck a chord with me. So you ask about criteria. I'm really crazy sparing with it. That mm-hmm. I wrote that in um, 2019, September of 2019. I haven't done another one since because nothing's risen to the level of being like, hold on, let's back up. And you know what? The audience, I think, understood it and followed with me. And, you know, we don't, we can't build a wall at the Ontario, Ontario border. The only approach that we can take, it's funny because we talked before about me not getting into opinions and here I am getting into an opinion, but this <laughs> is, this is one, yeah, right. This is one area where I think that um, I'm comfortable. So we have to come up with solutions and we all as citizens can do that. We can impress on our elected leaders the need to work together and find solutions. It's the only way out of the situation we're in. Mm. It really is. So pivoting off of opinion, <laughs> I'm kind of curious what trends you've seen in uh, the public and how they digest media, and if there might be some suggestions for how to do it better, more responsibly. Because like Natalie said, it's hard to sift through. How do you look at an article and see whether or not it's an ad or actual reporting? South Park did an amazing episode about that. And Google it, look yeah. it up. But <laughs> it's not easy to differentiate between factual reporting and something that has a slant. So what recommendations would you give people? I don't know if people even realize that as they're writing it. I, I think that we've almost lost the ability to, to realize that we can write fact-based. Well, I guess that that's something that I don't have visibility into. I don't know if that's true. I guess, Don, you might have a better idea of how do people choose which stories to put? I know that there's not a bunch of reporters at the New York Times that say, I just want to report on what I want to report on. And the editor says, go forth and do, children. There seems to be a, I guess, a, I don't know, an organized way of focusing and what to focus on and how to write it. I don't know about that. I can't speak to the New York Times or any of the national news outlets. I can talk about our editorial process. You've got two questions there. One, how should the audience understand and, and make better decisions? It's not up to me to tell people how to change their consumption habits. People are going to get news from social media, no matter how strongly we might feel about that. That's where it's going to happen. Um, in fact, Boise Dev was on Facebook for a long time because I worked at Channel 7. I managed the Facebook page and I got a little burnt out on it. And it's 
a lot worse now, five years in, than it was then. Mm. And so I was like, we're not doing Facebook. I'm not on Facebook with the whole Meridian. I just... Yeah, it, well, we are because people ask us. We have a Facebook group, which allows us quite a bit of control um, and has, has helped because uh, we can turn off comments. Yeah. And we do it quite a bit. Um, but you ask about how people can understand how a story, if a story is credible. And I think there are ways that you can do that. Um, and there, there's actually a national organization. Um, it's called the Truth, Pro- uh, the Trust Project. Um, and they have what are called trust factors. And so, um, and there's a couple of news outlets here that, that adhere to these. Um, and the biggest thing is every story on our website has somebody's name on it and contact information. Mm-hmm. So whether it's written by me or Margaret Carmel or Autumn Robertson or Gretchen Parsons or Anna Daly Gamboa, that's my team, their name's on it. And they're either their email or in Margaret's case, she likes her cell phone number on her stories. Wow. Not something for me. <laughs> she prefers it, which is fine. And so you can contact them and you're going to generally get a response. In addition to that, my email address is at the bottom of every single page. Mm-hmm. So you can contact me directly. And then on our about page, we talk about our approach. We talk about how we choose stories. We talk about our ownership and funding. Uh, Boise Dev is 100% owned by me. We have no outside funding. Every dollar in this business has been generated through revenue, um, through advertising and membership. People can see our advertisers on our site and judge for themselves by them. If we do a story about an advertiser, which does happen from time to time, we'll disclose at the bottom of the story. We'll say, disclosure, such and such business is a Boise Dev um, advertiser. They had no role in the selection or production of this story, so we're transparent. Um, and those things matter. Um, mm. And I think most people are smart enough to be able to step back and look and say, boy, is this is this pink slime? Is this, you know, crap, I hope crappy news? Um, and mm. and I think that people are, are better at it than we give them credit for. That doesn't mean there's not bad actors out there and there is some crap content out there um but back to your kind of the point that we jumped off of about the new york times and direction i don't know man i don't i can tell you there's no direction here i don't mean (laughs) to be dumping on the new york times i subscribe to the times and i think that they've got some uh better reporting than than most it was just the name that came yeah no i know but how news gets chosen is always a big question for me because it feels like when i go to cnn or if you go to fox you know these polar extremes it doesn't take a lot to be able to step back and say, I kind of see where this angle's going. And I'm just the type of person that I don't, I'm not looking for an angle. I'm looking for yeah. more facts. I don't know if I'm just old at my heart that I look back at the days whenever, you know, the big three had federal funding and they had criteria to, you know, report factually. And, you know, you had some awesome reporting coming out of. Yeah, know, there, there was the no federal three. funding, but yeah, the, there was something called the fairness doctrine that mm-hmm. did give them some guide rails on, on making sure there was equal time and other things. And they had credibility too. And I don't know when we lost that yeah. or when it seemed to slip away or at least get more elusive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert on, on national media for sure, but for us, I think the guide star is that we say we put readers first. And so we try and listen to what people want and they tell us. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean that sometimes we'll run a story people don't like, and I might get some emails that I don't like. I've been called lots of different names. Fortunately, I don't think I get it as bad as a lot of my mainstream peers. Um, but 
the approach that I take to feedback that I think is a little unique is if somebody emails with criticism or calls or whatever, I try not to start with in my head thinking, well, this is wrong because mm-hmm. the first thing I try and think of, and it's hard, it's a, it's a learned habit is, are they right? And often the, the answer is still no. So somebody got mad about a story and called me a Marxist, right? <laughs> uh, I own a business, so I'm probably not a Marxist. You might uh-huh. want to read into what a Marxism is. Um, but I try and I, they got to, even that person who was trying to, you know, bully me up and whatever, they got a measured reply that responded to their concerns. And of course they responded with more heated rhetoric and I didn't respond another time. But I, I always try and take that feedback and listen to it in a way that's like, okay, is this criticism correct? And sometimes it is, and and we try and and we try and adjust. Um, and if it's not, we'll also say to them why. Mm. That's awesome. How much of your time is spent in replying and gathering feedback versus versus producing? Oh, I don't know. I haven't done a scope on that, and if I did, it would probably make me crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spend a lot of time. Fortunately, having people helps. Uh, up until uh, June of last year, I was all by myself. Now we have five people, and so it used to be just a lot of hours kind of doing everything. All those stories are coming out of five contributors? Yeah, yep. yeah but you weren't following when it was just him. No. <laughs> like, how are you doing this? Yeah, I, had a, I had a goal of three a day for myself, and sometimes <laughs> I'd go above that. And, um, you know, I've been at this a long time, which helps. Mm-hmm. I know Boise really, really well, mm-hmm. <laughs> which helps. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're able to – we put out um, – most days, five or six original stories, um, and sometimes a little more. And, you know, everybody contributes one or two, and we go through. But I do spend more time now editing and mm. managing than I did a year ago. Yeah. Um, and, and working on team development, some of those types of things, not to mention running the business. You guys touch on so many different issues. Uh, I mean, the um, it's a buffet of types of topics. Do you have a favorite like that you like to focus on? Anything you know, that resonates? Uh, yeah, I, there are a few. Um, just like anybody, I like stuff around my home. <laughs> it's always interesting to, yeah. to do those. Um, I, I've i been going to McCall since I was a little kid, and I really enjoy writing about issues that are important to McCall, and it's kind of funny because we, we got a grant. You're going to laugh at this. We got a grant a year ago from Facebook, um, <laughs> as much as I've spent all this time. <laughs> crapping on Facebook. Um, but they, they um, both Facebook and Google put out some COVID-19 emergency relief grants and we applied and um, they were administered through a third, an independent third party called the local media association. Um, and there's no like, editorial strings to it. And um, the grant that I wrote for Facebook, I did a year ago and it was to cover uh, the economic recovery of Sun Valley and McCall. Now, that was not the story we told over the last year because those places actually didn't really have as much trouble as it looked like last April. If you remember, a year ago this time, um, the highest number of per capita COVID cases in the entire country was mm-hmm. Blaine County, Blaine County, Idaho, and it looked pretty bleak. Um, things swung back as they did with much of our economy in the last year. Uh, so we hired a reporter to focus on those areas, um, and she puts a lot of focus into McCall now. Um, and it's really interesting to see how that is changing in ways that are both similar and different to the Boise Valley. Um, and I spend a lot of time up there. And so those are things that I really find find interesting because just like I think most people, 
I was the kid who was like, oh, hey, they're remodeling the Albertsons. Like, what, mm-hmm. what's going on here? And now I've built a, basically a business on trying to tell people about those stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. you just covered that. Uh, was it today I was reading? Um, in McCall, they're doing the new, it's like a nightclub type uh, restaurant, like right on their main street. Yeah, Foresters, which has been there forever, has been closed for about a year. Yeah. And they are um, going to make some changes there. Um, they're in the middle of a pretty serious remodel on that yeah. space. And, and I wouldn't ever have known about that, but I had been looking at that space for a long time. And obviously you guys are going to cover it. And it is interesting how it's like this little, this little like delight of, oh, this place that I, I know so well and I see so often. And this person is kind of just letting me know what's happening. Yeah. And I think that's why people like me and uh, thousands and thousands of other people have uh, gravitated. I know I'm so excited about um, Idaho First. I think that is going to be so it's going to be so beneficial Um to me um, and so many people I know, could you just tell us a little bit about how people can access that and how they can, uh, I guess, get that in their in their inbox every day? Yeah, so they can go, the easiest way probably is just to go to boisedev.com and there's a graphic and a link right across the top of the page. Drop in your email um, in the subsequent page that you click on uh, and you'll be signed up and we'll start Tuesday, May 4th. I'm not sure when your podcast will drop and obviously people may listen to it a month from now. So mm-hmm. it may already be launched. We're really excited. Um, this is something that, we put a lot of thought towards, um, it's easy to launch products, but I wanted to do this right. And so been thinking about it for a year, been working on it for six months, I hired in March, uh, and Gretchen and I have been working on really trying to refine this so that it's not, we're not just kind of like, Hey, let's do this, throwing it up. Mm-hmm. But it was funny cause I hired her and, and she started on like a Wednesday, I think. And she was like, okay, I'm ready. When are we going to start on Monday? <laughs> I was like, no, we're going to start in a couple months. Mm-hmm. And and she appreciated that because she got to be a part of the process of developing and building it. So we're really excited to let people see what we've been working on. What does success look like? You know what? Uh, well, I can give you the, the business guy answer, and that is that it's profitable, right? Um, but I think that the more philosophical answer is that people open it and they engage with it and they tell their friends. And if that email list continues to grow, um, I'll feel like it's a success. If people respond to us and tell us what they'd like to see differently and we incorporate that feedback, I think that's a success too. Um, so there's al- always different ways of looking at success. Mm. Right on. Awesome information as far as a big picture view into local news. Yeah. Um, so boisedev.com yep. uh, on social media. Where are you? Uh, so <laughs> social media is fun. So Twitter is at Boise dev mm-hmm. on Instagram. They will not let us have at Boise dev for reasons I cannot begin to understand. So we are at Boise dev news uh, and uh, Facebook. If you just type in Boise dev, you'll find us there, but Boise dev.com is the best place to go. That's great. So uh, look forward to the next conversation. We're in, hopefully we can dig into some specific topics about what's yeah. going on around the Valley. Sunday, thanks a ton. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much. The Boise Bubble Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. Interested in buying a Volkswagen in the Treasure Valley? Head to www.volkswagenofboise.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at The Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.